0: While many healthy and successful people grow up with only mom in the house, research shows that having dad involved throughout pregnancy and the first year of life contributes to greater health and better outcomes for baby. That is why the Milwaukee Life Course Initiative for Healthy Families Collaborative, or LIFE, has enlisted local fatherhood experts in their goal of making sure every baby makes it to their first birthday. Today we talk with Keith Paris co-chair for Strengthening African American Families and Fatherhood and Male Engagement Committee for Life. Keith is also the Outreach and Education Coordinator for Pathways for Fathers and Families through Milwaukee County Child Support, with a focus on fatherhood development. This effort is made possible by a grant from the Department of Health and Human Services. Also joining us today is Ernest Goggins. Fatherhood Program Manager at the Parenting Network, and a member of the Strengthening African-American Families and Fatherhood and Male Engagement Committee. Recently, Keith and Ernest hosted the Fatherhood Barbershop Sessions during the 12th Annual Milwaukee Fatherhood Summit, presented by Mayor Tom Barrett and the Milwaukee Fatherhood Initiative. This event brought together men of all ages to talk about the challenges of fatherhood and to support one another. We spoke with Ernest and Keith about everything from the role of perceived gender differences as it relates to fatherhood, whether it is important for mom and dad to be together in order to be good parents, and the role of the father in ensuring baby is healthy enough to make it to their first birthday and beyond. Living Local, telling the stories that connect us, a United Way of Greater Milwaukee and Waukesha County podcast. Keith, what's the what, why the connection between fatherhood and the work of Life Course, which of course works to make sure that every baby born in Milwaukee reaches their first baby w- reaches their first birthday with an emphasis on African American families?
1: Based on the uh, information that I've been able or I've been exposed to, uh, there's a great importance of having fathers involved um, in healthy birth outcomes. Certainly, from uh, when the baby's in the womb in that first year. We um, need to engage fathers at that level, uh, help them to understand the importance of positive engagement at that level, and things that they can do to uh, promote healthy birth outcomes.
0: Do you have a personal connection to the issue? What what makes you passionate about the work that you do?
1: I'm always passionate when it comes to children. Um, I don't have any biological children, but uh, I guess that's why I love them so much. and also I in my own family uh had a niece who um, lost a child uh before the uh, the age of one. We feel very passionate about that and and the support of moms and dads uh when they're having children and, and also, I just think legacy uh is real important. You can't have a legacy if you don't have a child. child doesn't survive so
0: Ernest, what brought you to this work?
2: I worked a uh, a while actually in education. Um, in a residential treatment facility um, for boys. And what you notice is that um, these boys are kind of forgotten. You have a parent-teacher's conference and maybe you get two parents. Um, so it just became um, just just recognizing that there's a need for just education in general with regards to youth, but also education can also take place outside of the classroom. So um, the work was extremely challenging However, I still wanted to contribute to the the situation in the city. So, you know, I um, made that transition to the Parenting Network, and I got an opportunity to still promote and provide education just in a different realm. And, you know, it was just an opportunity to allow fathers to get to know their, their role, their value, and the outcome of, you know, their children, but also their communities as well. Um, a lot of people see education as, you know, you sit down, be quiet, and I'll teach you, you Be you know, and you write this down. But um, a lot of the education um, doesn't happen that way. It comes from mileage, if you will, you know, your life experiences and things like that. So I saw opportunity for me to relate to a lot of men um, as a father. Um, my daughter's uh, 9 years old. I always say she's going on 14. <laughs> 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 but um, it's just a way to relate because a lot of the fathers that I see based upon where I come from in the city, I could have been in a situation that they're in, whether it be incarcerated, maybe um, struggling with um, relationships, drugs, alcohol, and all that, things like that.
0: Why is it so important for the father to be involved, especially that early in life?
2: I think we notice, right? I think as men we understand um, our value or why it's important for us to be there, but I don't think our society um, values it as much. Um, I think that... um, just if you look at even Mother's Day, <laughs> Mother's Day could be like a whole uh, month or deal, but, you know, Father's Day, if we don't make it a big deal, it, it's kind of overstepped. So I think as a society, we see images on TV of things like absenteeism or domestic abuse or, um, you know, f- uh, fatherless children and things like that. So um, we sometimes start to believe it as a society. But in reality, when you engage a father and you ask him, are you there for your kids, or do you take care of your kids? The Majority of the fathers that I talk to say, to some degree, yes. They have different obstacles, um, things like um, systemic racism, also a society uh, that sometimes um, believes that you know a mom can do it all by herself. I don't know how many times, and Keith, I know you can resonate with this. You heard that term, um, you know. I can be. I'm the mama and the daddy too. But we all know as a society what happens when fathers are absent. So when you talk about just in vitro, we're talking about things like reducing stress. We're talking about things like our father's ability to be communicative, um, to not choose to argue, um, to help out with other kids, to clean up, to remind mom about things like um, doctor's appointments or, you know, uh, take your um, vitamins. And as um, people, I think we also have energy and babies feel energy. Um, When daddy steps in the room, sometimes the baby kicks, or when mom's feeling some kind of way, sometimes the baby reacts some kind of way as well. So just being there um, as early as possible, being present and active, and also understanding that it's not about us, it's not about our relationship, it's not about what I did to you last year or how you got back at me, it's about the sake of the children. And I think that as uh, parents, if we do a better job of focusing our energy towards the baby and not our relationship, um, things will, um, <clears throat> of course, work out a lot better for everyone involved.
1: We're we're seeing a shifting in terms of the the roles of fathers. Uh, in the past, we were the hunter gatherers. Our responsibility was to make provisions for the family. Um, I, I always say that I think the advent of the pill women having the ability to choose when they have children, uh, options when it comes to that. Um, The expectations that we have of fathers now is changing, which is a good thing. Fathers are probably more involved um, in the rearing of the children. In the past, you know, that was mom's thing, and, you know, wait till your dad gets home. But now dads are actively or expected to be more actively involved. And so the, the skill sets that males have to have when it comes to Uh, child development and child rearing has to be developed. I think that that's the the real big change. I think the other thing is that when we look at measurements, we're usually measuring um, people who are married as opposed to their other types of families where there are intact. It's both a mom and a dad there. And then there's uh, data out there that supports that, especially among African-American fathers, that when they're engaged in their children, they tend to be more likely to bathe their children, to help them with homework, to take them to school, to be more interactive when they're there. So we need to um, encourage that. And then I think the third thing that we deal with is making the adjustment from even though you're not cohabitating, you still can co-parent. And uh, how do you develop those skills, the relationships that you have to develop between mom and dad, even though uh, your romantic relationship is ceased, now you have a familial Relationship that has to be developed in terms of what's the best for that child.
0: How do you how do you work with that issue? What do you say to the to the fathers that you work with about relationships?
2: I think we have to do a better job as a community to define what a healthy relationship looks like. If my idea of a healthy relationship is cussing or yelling or hanging up phones or driving off because um, things didn't work out or, um, you know, not having empathy for one another, then things are just not going to go right. So with regards to engaging fathers as to their relationships, they have to also, um, I think they have to identify first whatever a healthy relationship is. Um, do we value each other? Um, do we have empathy? Do I put her needs first sometimes? Does she put my needs first? Is there balance? Is there, like, a financial um, um, abuse or emotional abuse or to define what these things are? Because if you're crying every other night, and your mom cried every other night, it becomes a normality, and then you expect it. Um, so I think at the basis of it all, once we start from the ground up, I think defining what a healthy relationship is, what it should look like, and also we have to understand that kids do what they see. If my daughter sees me with uh, multiple women throughout the uh, week, she's going to expect to be you know on somebody some other guy's list when she grows up. If my son, if I had a son, sees me yelling at my wife or mistreating her, oh, this is normal. I could treat mom like that too, and also I could treat women like that. So, first, um, having that foundation of what a healthy relationship is, but also understanding that we are teaching our kids this every day. So, it's the only way we can stop the cycle is with ourselves.
1: And and a general reminder that children are a choice. They're not accidents. They're not oops. Uh, we choose to To have children, and when we make that choice, those choices comes with consequences, and one has to make adjustments. And uh, getting where you have a uh, noun verb agreement. Uh, I love my kids, but what's the action that's coming from? I, I love my kids, and what does that mean? And uh, I think the other thing that we're challenged when we're dealing with fatherhood development is, and I think Ernest alluded to this, that what these fathers have seen um, what they have seen modeled, you know, in their own lives. Either uh, uh, it might be an absent male in the home who would uh, otherwise fulfill the role of a father, or it could be a situation, as uh, Ernest has alluded to, where there's abuse, and now we think that that's, um, that's normalized. So what we have to understand is um, things change. Um, especially when you begin to talk about families and where you might have started off and it was very passionate and romantic and now you have to get to this whole nesting kind of positioning which is very different and uh are you able then to step up I think the other thing that makes it difficult is that there are many men who want to step up and fulfill that role and uh they're blocked by the mom you know that she's still kind of stuck in her feelings uh based on the you know the the breakup of the relationship And just a constant reminder that the child is uh, paramount in this situation. Uh, Not you or mom, but what's best for the child.
0: So recently, during Boys and Men of Color Week here in Milwaukee, there was a fatherhood summit for which the theme was legacy. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, actually,
1: those are two different groups. Boys and Men of
0: Color and then fatherhood? Yeah, the Boys and Men of
1: Color Uh, That was a separate summit. I attended that, too. Okay. That was more of the uh, providers, the service providers, the educators. The Milwaukee Fatherhood Initiative Summit is an annual summit. This is the 12th year, uh, which is um, sponsored by the City of Milwaukee and uh, Social Development Commission. Uh, And every year we have a theme. And so this year was Legacy. Normally we have a session there called Child Support One O One. We've decided not to do that this year, uh, but to have this life barber shop. Um, Mike Williams, who is the black male achievement person for the city of Milwaukee, thought that this was really important for us to have and obviously the mayor is chairman of the life course, co chair of the life course, so he thought it was important too that we have that discussion. And obviously if not to say obvious, but if you if your child doesn't live you don't have a legacy, right? I mean that's just kind of kind of stark way of putting it. So we began to talk about that and, and certainly uh every child in this city blowing out his first candle uh for the first year birthday was was important. So that's how we got to that and that's how we were then able to incorporate the um the life barbershop based on legacy. The importance of dads <clears throat> in that in terms of um early childhood development. Uh, and how important it was then um, um, for fathers. And I don't think a lot of them even thought about it that way. Uh, but, yeah, we that's the whole legacy piece.
2: Yeah, um, I think a lot of the guys came in. I mean, I just I want to take care of this child support stuff, get these people off my back. But I'd say after like five or ten minutes, once they understood that our goal was not to chastise them or to tell them that they suck-ass fathers, the room just opened up, and it was a, a great positive uh, flow of conversation. Um, I, th- I think the guys really left with an understanding of, hopefully, their role, their value, um, their essential value, if you will, in the birth outcomes, but also um, the effect on kids going forward. Um, the present and active father can do things for a family, like you know, decrease the likelihood of their daughter becoming pregnant um, increase the likelihood of a kid getting A's in school, increase the likelihood that a kid is being treated right in their school, um, decrease the likelihood of their son being incarcerated, because we know we're dealing with like one in three, one or four African-American young men will see incarceration, and it's big business. And for these fathers to understand that um, my role is to teach my son that um, as early as possible, um, it, it does a great deal. The guys also seem to understand uh, or develop empathy or value for the opposite sex. I think that's where a lot of the issues arise in relationships. So it, it was great. I think the guys it was almost got like emotional a couple times because we don't we don't get emotional, guys. We don't do that. Um, it, it was a, a, a huge success. Um, and look forward to doing it again, definitely.
0: What I really want to talk about is, I'm hearing a lot from both of you about this narrative that kind of drives fatherhood, it drives manhood, it drives what, you know, a father is supposed to be and do. And a lot of these narratives, you know, some of them, like Keith, what you said, that the father is the breadwinner and that's his role, those are kind of older, older narratives come from a long line, maybe that's what they saw, dad, grandpa, um... And other narratives come from, Ernest, like you said, the, the media, images of you know, African-American fathers being absent. How do you work to walk back those narratives? Because that's really hard to undo these thoughts that are kind of subconscious and, and kind of part of, well, that's how the world is. What do you do to help unravel some of those narratives with the men that you work with?
2: i like to definitely talk about gender. Um, gender as a social construct is not real. I mean, it, it happens, to exist, but it's not like this table or it's not like that, you know. So with that being said, if it's not something so concrete, you can rearrange it, if you will. So if we talk about um, our roles, if you will, and the difference between mothering and fathering and really break it down, oh, based upon who I am or what I am, what makes me good? What can I bring to the table? Oh, I'm strong. I like to play. Um, I have good hand-eye coordination, Um, I let my kids take healthy risks. Um, You know, I have uh, durability. I have endurance, right? I think differently. I'm more about logic and reason. And then you can um, ask the fathers, oh, what is mom good at? Oh, she's emotional. That's a good thing when you really think about it because when she's emotional, how does she deal with her emotional health? Man, she talks about it. Don't you think you should talk about it? Don't you think that's a good thing? And we just differ, if you will, um, just differentiate the difference between mothering and fathering, but also align the values. Oh, she's good at this. Can you do that? Yes. She's good at that. Can you do that? Yes. So I think if we break down our, if you will, our ideas of what it means to be a man and really um, dissect that, if our whole idea about what it means to be a man is bringing home money, and then when I don't have a job, does that mean I'm not a man? Or if the whole idea of what it means to be a man is to be uh, um, athletic or to be strong or um, to um, not give up, what happens at that breaking point when I do feel like giving up doesn't make you less of a man. So I think we do uh, a good job of just, um, if you will, breaking down or reconstructing our ideas about what it means to be a man because our society does a horrible job of it.
0: I want to make sure that we touch on the role of systemic racism. Ernest, I think you brought this up. The role of systemic racism, um, you know, especially in a city like Milwaukee, the most segregated city in the country, outcomes for black men, women, and children are significantly worse than for white uh, families. <coughs> How do you reckon with that when you're dealing with people on a man-to-man level?
1: Um, I, I, and I don't know if we spend... An enormous amount of time we use the term systemic racism that 's a academic term um, and i don 't know if people are and maybe they are sitting around talking about racism um, you just talk about your condition which is which is driven by racism something that it, it just dawned on me after all these years that uh, when we talked about um, uh, freeing of the slaves um, after the Civil War um, Many um, African American males in the South had to write the vote, but they got no land, and and we're dealing with that. And then when you look at even now, we're on fifty years anniversary of uh, they said two hundred nights that shook Milwaukee, where they were doing the open housing marches. That is significant. If I don't have access to wealth, mm-hmm. uh, land, which is the, the most basic form of wealth, then how can I provide? And then what can I provide for? the generation that comes after me. And uh, to have that discussion, um, yesterday they just released a poll that 55% of white people believe that white people are discriminated against. You talk about denial. And then when you ask them, well, how were you discriminated against because you were white? Well, I don't know, but I, you know, it's that kind of programming. And then we'll minimize... Uh, I was just listening to... Um, uh, a rap song last night said if i was white i don't know if that was q tip who did the song if i was white and it, it was powerful talking about all these things that uh white people take for granted uh getting a cab uh getting credit going to good schools i mean these are things that people take for granted that is not the experience of many african americans and uh, and especially then when he becomes male. And then when you, you understand that we create this pipeline to prison, and people talk about the prison industrial complex, they talk about it, again, kind of an academic, but it's very real. It's very real when you look at uh, a city or a town called Red Granite. I have no clue to where G- Red Granite is, but there's a prison there, and I'm sure whoever that local legislator there is going to be tough on crime because when he's talking about tough on crime, That's just a cold word for how we're going to enforce in poor and minority communities who are then the pipeline to prison. Uh, We're talking about truck driving. Well, 50% of black males in Milwaukee County doesn't have a driver's license. So if you don't have a driver's license, you can't get a job as a truck driver. Why is that? Because when a kid uh, caught a ticket in high school and never paid the ticket, then it allowed his license to be suspended. Now he's driving without a license, which means now that's going to lead to... Uh, more legal issues uh so there're things out there how 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 we enforce things and when you start talking about the the whole idea of racism and then the amazing thing is America's in denial right i mean it, it it's the issue for many of us uh, uh we deal with uh, kids who are born outside of wet line and so there's a stigma still attached to that right and um uh, and so why should we help those Those folks they weren't married, you know why should we help them uh, there's There's a lot that goes into that, and um, as Ernest said, I can't change the 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 systemic racism, but well, I mean, I think people have to be aware of it. Those people who are working with people who are impacted has to take that into account. You hear more and more now people talking about trauma. You know, we take have to take trauma into account in terms of how we do our case management and how we're providing these services for folks. But I, when I hear that, I don't know, and maybe maybe you do the guys are sitting around having that discussion, and um, I don't even know how you would have that discussion other than you might talk about your own experience. You know, it's just such a, a, a overwhelming kind of uh, kind of experience that I don't. Um, you're right. I mean, we, we talk about it, but we see the results of it. Uh, someone had brought up yesterday one of the guys in the group I was at, and I. And why do we have to mark on the census what our races? How how is that contributing to the continual racism in the country where I have to identify a race? Why is that important? Why is it so important in America today? We're, we're close to 500 years being in this on this continent that we're still identifying by race. And prior to slavery, there was no racial identification. It was where you were from. So why in America do we have to identify? Every application we do, we have to put race. Why is that? Now, they were saying so we can see if there's discrimination. But I think it continues the discrimination. When I look at that, again, that's maybe it's a rhetorical question. I give it academics to ask, why are we still identifying race? Maybe there's a purpose for it. I don't know if there is.
0: What can a listener, the community, do to support fathers, particularly African-American fathers? Are
1: we doing it? I think we need to do this in relations to what we're doing here with, with the life course. And I think that we have to begin to talk about um, science and the and the information. Um and and stop operating on these assumptions that um when we um announced that we had received the second grant we received for pathways and they announced it in the journal the journal allows people to make comments and the comments that you were getting from people were well, why do you uh why does a dad know what it is to be a dad and and why are we training fathers to be fathers they should know what it is to be a father that's a myth you learn how to be a father so i think the support has to be that we encourage engagement, um, that we that we put things in place that will empower men, whether you're African-American or even white. Because the, the, the myth out here is that if you talk to people even in intact families, they might tell you, I probably didn't have the greatest dad in the world. You know, I mean, he provided, but he was distant, or he could be abusive. Uh, you know, I mean, there there's... Uh, so this whole myth that we have out there about uh, these super great families where we realize that families all will have some level of struggle. Maybe we change the narrative of how we discuss parenting in general, and then we specifically tailor our approach to African American men based on what their experience is. But overall, how do we uh, support fathers?
2: Yeah, there's a community level. Of course, there's a social level. There's like a policy level. But I think on a, a community level, we can uh, hold each other accountable. We could be the change. I know it sounds corny, but we could be the change that we want to see. We could break that cycle. Um, if you are uh, a person who is engaged in your family as a, a man, be that example, not just for your household, but also nieces, nephews, uh, your neighbors, when your uh, kids, friends come over to play, uh, teach them um, by example what it means to uh, you know, uh, be a man, if you will, on an educational level. Um, programming is also uh, phenomenal. Just to break down that stigma of a parenting class. When you think about a parenting class, you think about oh, they're going to tell me that I'm horrible as uh, a parent, but not necessarily. Because in any situation where lives are on the line, whether you're uh, you know a paramedic or a firefighter, you get a lot of training. But we don't train our parents, and that's like the most immediate life that you can ever have an impact on. So we have to change our ideas uh, that parents should naturally know how to do this thing. It's not easy, you know. Um, there are specific things about it that are going to come natural, but in the grand scheme of things, I think we need to uh, put a little bit more emphasis on the educational piece because if we do this based upon traditions, I'm going to do what my mother's mother mother did, and that's not necessarily my best interest in 2017. Uh, whether it's um, emotionally, um, the diet, whether it's uh, education, whether it's our ideas of, um, you know, what a household is. Um, And then on the policy level, I've heard a politician say, I'm not going to say his name, but um, it seems to be some, uh, what do you say, overlap or duplicity with regards to this fatherhood thing because everyone's doing it, everyone's doing it. It has to be some overlap. You're damn right it's overlap. Because it's an issue. It's a crisis. There's, you don't say that about cancer. You don't say that about, uh, you know, domestic violence. You don't say that things about uh, policing. But for some reason, when it comes to fathering, we think that we're doing overdoing it. You can never overdo something that's helping the community, especially if you see it as a, uh, a public um, a health issue. And then also, I mean, once again, you know, as um, men and women, we have to do a better job of understanding each other and also pr- providing that nurturance and getting to the point of the fact that this is not about us, this is about this uh, child that's involved. So there's so many levels, um, you know, just um, just education, if you will, with regards to relationships should be in schools. If I can learn what a healthy relationship means at 12 years old, it puts me in a better position to be good at age 25. I said it once, i say it again. We're failing our boys, but we're um, holding them accountable as men. I keep failing me as a boy, and you not put me on the right track to be a man. But then um, when I behave a specific way at age 25, now finding myself um, with a lot of issues. So there's a lot of levels to that question, um, and it is a, a, a challenging question. But I think that if we all did our role, I mean, did our job, if you will, on each level, whether it's education, whether it's community, whether it's school, whether it's policy, um, our society in general would be a better place.
0: Well, thank you both so much for sitting down with us today and for the work you do for fathers in our community. That was Keith Paris, Outreach and Education Coordinator for Pathways for Fathers and Families through Milwaukee County Child Support with a focus on fatherhood development and co-chair for Strengthening African American Families and Fatherhood and Male Engagement Committee for Life Course Initiative for Healthy Families. We also spoke with Ernest Goggins, Fatherhood Program Manager at the Parenting Network and a member of the Strengthening African-American Families and Fatherhood and Male Engagement Committee for Life. Milwaukee Life Course Initiative for Healthy Families is funded by Wisconsin Partnership Program, or WPP, at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and convened by United Way of Greater Milwaukee and Waukesha County. Living Local is produced by myself, Katie Kuhn, Melissa Hannon, Brian McCaig, and John Waldbauer. This episode was made possible with help from Sheree Douglas and the Milwaukee Life Collaborative. A special thank you to Ethan and Maeve McCaig for providing the music and voice talent for our introduction.